We Are SC podcast. Gary Paskowitz along with Daryl Rideau. Uh, Daryl, this is a pretty exciting day for USC football and a pretty uh, pretty dramatic news coming out this morning that USC has indeed hired Cliff Kingsbury as the offense coordinator. Just give us your initial thoughts on that hire. You know, considering the way that the football season ended and by no stretch of the imagination, was it a disappointment? And going into the offseason short of playing in the bowl game, for USC to start stealing some of the headlines, you couldn't have made a greater splash than to hire the likes of a Cliff Kingsbury and what he means and the impact that he ha- he now has on this Southern California recruiting territory, keeping outsiders out and really making sure that USC maintains its dominant position in cherry picking the best of the best he couldn't couldn't have gone any better um, for Clay Helton knocking out his first official recruit potentially being Cliff Kingsbury I, I like what you say though in terms of where the uh, feelings were about, about you know nine days ago yeah when Lynn Swan made the announcement that Clay Helton was being fa- I don't know that you could have done anything better uh, than sealing this deal to to energize a lot of the fan base I mean this this program felt like it was spiraling downhill there felt like very little clarity and direction um, just a mosh posh of, of an offense, it, it was a shell of itself. Are mm-hmm. you truly a pro-style offense? Are you going to a spread-up tempo? What are you? Now you can you can honestly say that when Clay Helton hands the keys over to Cliff Kingsbury, at least decisively, you know what direction the offense is going to go, which begs to argue – um, will there be more changes on that offensive personnel so that Cliff can articulate the message that he really wants? Eyeballs upstairs in the press box, mm-hmm. maybe perhaps um, uh, teachers in certain positions that can actually effectively communicate his style of play. I expect more to come right behind him, but to, to solidify him at the offensive uh, coordinator position early in this process so so that you're not up against a deadline being the early recruiting day, uh, signing day mm-hmm. speaks of Volumes about the relationship and the chemistry that he can now validate moving forward with recruits that might have been on the bubble. And it's going to be very interesting to find out what indeed uh, the negotiations, like you say, this was Clay Helton's biggest recruit of the offseason. Right. Uh, how is that relationship going to play out? Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he's going to demand a, a lot of say and full say, perhaps, yeah. in what goes on with scheme, with personnel. Going to be very interested but, to, but, but, uh, to but, kind yeah, of find let, that Let me out. say something as a credit to Clay Helton. Uh-huh. Okay, um... I give Clay a lot of respect and self-evaluating where he is and what his true ambitions are. If your true ambitions are to be a head coach and to continue to develop in that mode and you have sustainability here at USC, to concede the one thing that you held on heart wholeheartedly to, mm-hmm. offensive play calling, and to allow another alpha in your room and to embrace that relationship is something to be holding upon um, and, and um, in, in kudos to Clay for accepting the fact that there is another head coach out there who is willing to come in and, and be your offensive coordinator. You know what that tells me? That allows for another third of that pie from offense, defense, and special teams to now hand the keys over to a mature offensive uh, play caller who's going to organize your offense. You got Clancy coming back with the revamped personnel on your defensive side. Administrate this thing now. Coach your coaches. And and there's a lot to be said about that. There there, there is. It it feels very much to me 
uh, similar to when Pete Carroll went and got Norm Chow. Right. And and I remember being a little hesitant about that. I don't know if I'm ready for the BYU offense. Right. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't a pure USC style offense, and it ended up being the most magical offense I've ever seen for the Trojans. Right. Uh, Going to be very interesting to see, Daryl. This is a big shift for USC. You are going to the air raid. Yes. Um, Presumably with Cliff Kingsbury, he's going to run what he knows. Okay. Uh, he's put up big numbers. We're going to talk this through to talk about what you like about this, but let's not be deceived. Uh, the, the, those, those of us who grew up with the traditional run-first power offense, Charles White, Marcus Allen, tailback you, right. this is one more step away from it. It's not a complete departure from it. You no. look at the numbers, it's not like he doesn't run the football, and you're going to talk about why the running backs could benefit, yep. but it, it is another step to modern football. Okay, so let's start going through some of the points that you raised in the article on we are SC today. You refers to you referred to Cliff Kingsbury as a chess master yeah. in terms of the way that he puts his like guys a grandmaster. Absolutely. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, make no mistake about it. Cliff Kingsbury came out and um, graduated in 2002, around the same time I uh, I graduated. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of age wise, we're at around the same age. Um, but with that being said, he played the quarterback position. Okay. And he, he not only played at the collegiate level, but it went off, played in the New England system, learned a little bit under Bill Belichick, you know, kind of worked behind um, Tom Brady. But it's the understanding of how to utilize personnel. When he recruits, he recruits for purpose. He understands. And when I think of, and again, this cliche or this analogy has been thrown out a lot for various different reasons, but it's very poignant to what I'm about to say. And the Cliff Kingsbury offense reminds me a lot of how, let's say, Steve Kerr is going to use the Golden State Warriors. Mm -hmm. Spacing. What makes spacing work is the depth of, of a Steph Curry, a Stephen Curry. Running backs will benefit the same way with that spacing. When you have prolific offensive receivers and you know that that ball is coming out quick in rhythm, defenses now have to fan out. Instead of them loading the box, Gary, they now have to expand the depths of their uh, coverage and defend the field, prevent big chunk plays. So if you're going to defend the passing game for big chunk plays, it's going to dilute the middle and interior part of the box. Now it's now you're talking about big on big. Your offensive lineman against the interior part of the defensive lineman and linebackers, and oftentimes you're going to find five or maybe six guys in the in the um, in the box. And I will I will tip my cap to any USC running back to to beat one defender in the open space. And that's what we're going to see more of uh, versus what we've seen um, as of now between the combination of a T. Martin slash Clay Helton slash previously Ty Helton offense. What we've seen there is a lack of diversification with the utilization of fullbacks and tight ends. And so since you're only primarily focused on receivers, and the running backs, it allowed teams to say, if I'm going to give up something, I don't have to defend all five skill players. With Cliff Kingsbury, that is not the case. Every player plays a significant role and vacates a space, and it's replaced by somebody else. So when I call him a grandmaster, the moves that he makes in the first quarter, much like Chow, are setting up in the design to exploit you when you're fatigued and tired. Another thing that uh, point that you made that I thought was very Chow esque was you said he he runs a lot of different plays out of the same formation. Right. I thought that was one of Chow's geniuses. Yes, and and for a receiver, you appreciate the fact that the system is designed for you to run the same same design plays. So if you're running slants or crossing routes, you're still going to run those slants and crossing routes. But the difference is you're going to do it out of so many exotic looks that it's not going to require you to think so much. You're going to play for space and for quarterbacks. 
to, to have that photographic memory of where um, offensive receivers are supposed to be mm-hmm. instead of throwing to a vacated area and hope that your receivers can go up uh, for a certain radius. Um, the reason why that is significant, Gary, is because in an air raid offense that, that is predicated heavily on tempo, it's very important that everybody's on the same page and understands what they're doing. So the complexity of the offense is really the simplicity of what is expected of the receivers and the skill players, which allows them to play faster and more efficient. It's funny you say that. A, a, a well-respected football mind, when I asked him what he thought about it, he said just what Chow did was he allowed USC offense to play fast. Yep. And he said that's what Klingsbury is going to do, just just what you said right there. I, I want you to hit on the point that you, you, you kind of did earlier. Talk about for a defender how you now have to hit defend the whole field ver- vertically, horizontally, different angles. Mm-hmm. This guy is going to really make you think out there. Okay, so – uh, in 2018, if I were game planning or scheming against um, USC, all I have to do is star, bracket, take away the hot man. If, 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 if in that, on first down, it might be a, a Michael Pittman Jr. or a Tyler Vaughn. When I see them lined up on one side, a dominant side of the field, I'm going to star them. And then play man coverage on everybody else, but still load the box up because I want to give the deception uh, or the perception that I'm really trying to take away the running game to um, to force you to pass. With Cliff Kingsbury, he may motion guys just to see what coverage you're in to give it away, and because of the tempo, it forces the defense to now have to declare. So, what keeps me up at night as a defender is, oh man, instead of having that man high safety. I may not have help this time, and I'm going up against one-on-one against a four- or five-star talent that I know if I give him the inside, he can take it the distance because my margin for error now, I don't have those layers. I don't have a linebacker on top of me and a safety on top of the linebacker in case I make a mistake because the ball may be coming out you know, um, on a bubble screen. Mm-hmm. Here, sometimes I might have to defend the short, quick uh, uh, hitch route but then right behind that hitch route might be a crossing route that's vacating the area that I just left. So uh, um, a great defensive back coach in Dennis Thurman once said, when we're defending in cover two, um, too high safety, and I'm playing a cloud technique, if I have $20 and I was forced to share with my brother uh, money, am I going to give him the $15 or the $5? I'm likely going to give away the $5. But with Cliff Kingsbury in this offense, in this air raid attack, um, you're breaking more than $20 um, because you have now, you have 5, 10, 15. You got guys coming in complex layers, and there are um, hot routes off of those routes. That's where the timing and the rhythm is going to come in play. And as a defender, I might have to watch extra film. I might be late to school because I want to make sure that I'm prepared to go up against this proli- potential prolific USC offense. Versus in the past, I might have watched a couple of things, passes by formation against USC, and I'm going to try to take this or that away, and I'm not concerned about them deviating from that. There's volumes to this offense and complexity that we're going to appreciate here in the Pac-12. One of the things that I heard Petros Papadakis talk about, he has covered several games uh, with Cliff Kingsbury. He liked with the offense, he goes, he'll load up one side of the, of the, of the field. Yep. But there will always be an option on the other There's side. There's always There's an always option a little on something side. over there. And, and here's a wrinkle that I saw um, this week against the Detroit Lions that that um, our, our, our boy um, uh, Sean McVay picked up from – the air raid attack. Uh-huh. He loads up the wide side of the field, okay? And on the back side, even on a run play, 
he might have that that um that off tackle in a a pass formation when it's a block set so it could be heavily loaded bunch set on the front side but he has every intentions on countering backside mm -hmm. he's going to give the perception that offensive lineman will might be the only one that tackle in a pass blocking formation so he may fan out while everybody else is down blocking to that defensive in study long study wrong just like when i used to play dominoes with the old folks um down in long beach study wrong study long or study long study wrong he's just trying to get that guy to freeze just long enough mm -hmm. to create gaps and seams that's where he's most effective having those backside options at all times is a is a safety valve for a guy like um um uh, daniels talk about the uh the perception that this is only a passing offense um, why is a guy like Stephen Carr going to benefit not only from the spacing that's available, uh, but catching passes out of the backfield? This should fit him perfectly. Yeah. And I look at the numbers, Daryl, and uh, he's throwing the ball, what, 52, 54 times a yeah. game? But he's running at 36. But he's running but at 36. That, that's not far off from what a lot of USC games Right, right, year. right. You know, we, we talk about balance, being balanced. Uh -huh. Well, balance, the, the, the scale of balance changes, okay? When, when, when you hear about balance – you want to exploit weaknesses of the defense at all times and dictate and keep that pressure. The fact that you got defensive backs on their heels, linebackers who might be lining up about five yards from the line of scrimmage now are kind of creeping back to seven just to make sure that they can get to their landmarks, opens up wide running lanes for these running backs. Now, it may not be a true um, – you're supplementing a true fullback for a third or fourth receiver. Sure. He's always going to put the best skilled players, and sometimes you can substitute an interior receiver for a tight end and still manufacture the same run blocking. So a Michael Pittman Jr. may not always be on the outside because of his size. He, you may see him in the slot now taking advantage of his ability to block downfield. Mm -hmm. But what does that do for a guy like Stephen Carr who's dynamic? It creates the matchups, the Reggie Bush-like matchups that Norm Chow used to exploit um, out of the backfield, getting them one-on-one with the third or fifth defender. The third defender might be a linebacker option flexed out on a running back like Carr, who ultimately is a hybrid receiver. Expect um, a Stephen Carr, the likes of a Stephen Carr and even a Vavai Malapiai, their their um, contributions to the offense to increase because not only are they going to be an outlet, but they may become the number one outlet just by virtue of how the offense, the formation spread and fan out the defenders to create those isolated matchups that um, Cliff Kingsbury is looking to exploit at all times. He's a film junkie. He might look like a Hollywood star, but make no mistake about it. Uh, think of him more of a producer because he's back there orchestrating um, and, and really designing the next play based on his personnel, not necessarily based on the system that he's forcing these players to be involved in. His database, his, his arsenal of, of, of um, offense can, can uh, be molded around the skill set of this uh, personnel that's returning and coming in with the incoming recruiting class. And, and you talked about with uh – with the defenders that they're never going to be able to be in their base defense. Yes. Really. And there may be smaller defenders out there who aren't going to be looking to tackle a marquee step coming out of the back. Make no mistake about it. And, um, and if you go back and you look at some of the statistics, it's not the interior defensive linemen and linebackers that are accumulating tackles against this air raid attack when um, – Kingsbury was at Texas Tech. It was the safeties piling up in some of the corners right. coming at wide angles, piling up the tackles. 
we're not built that way, Gary. Regardless of what they say, we're not F-150s or F-350 trucks. Um, think of uh, skilled players as Maseratis. We're high octane, high grade. And all of a sudden, you, you put those low profile wheels, rims, on, on a rubbled road, it's going to start to wear down. And, and all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing um, teams wear down in the second half because of how much pressure you put on them to constantly have to run in a track meet and then you turn right back around and you hand it off and it's exhausting not knowing where the balance is coming from because for the first time in a long time this offense is dictating the pace and enforcing teams to declare defensively what formation they're in for right. fear that if they don't line up after running 40 yards down the field coming back while USC is rotating in fresh receivers you're huffing and puffing on defense, and if you don't look up and catch that um, signal, you can find yourself playing man coverage when everybody else is playing zone. And, and, and that's how the Big, uh, the Big 12 has compromised defenses there. We make it seem like, okay, um, nobody plays defense. No. These offenses, uh, especially like a Texas Tech and an air raid attack, forces you into situations where you now have to play situational football right. as opposed to getting three and out stops. Talk about the impact on the USC offensive line. Yes. Uh, the, 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 this changes yes. uh, things, obviously an emphasis on pass protection. Yep. Um, and, and Gary, I tweeted today that I would not be surprised if Cliff Kingsbury went out and brought a few of the personnel that was with him right. that if you go on the Texas Tech um, coaching roster right now, some of the personnel that he brought in is not on that staff right now. So the likes of a Brent, um, Brandon, Brent Jones. Yeah, Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones, I'm sorry. Um, for, for many of us who more recently remember the, um, the, um, the golf error at Cal uh, under Long, right, the, uh, the head coach who was there? Yikes. I mean, Sonny Dykes. Yeah. Um, he brought in Brandon Jones as, as a part of that offensive package, but he coached the offensive line. And under them, they went high octane. When Cliff comes in, he needs a second set of eyes. I would not be surprised if the philosophy that maybe uh, Drevno, Tim Drevno thought he was coming in to, um, to implement, if he no longer fits the equation. And so we have to be adaptive and receptive to a few more changes. And just because they may not be blue blood Trojans, don't think that they're not going to bring a certain amount of physicality and a certain amount of impact and benefit. What, what the offensive, where the offensive line will benefit from is the rhythm of, of, of what's expected of them when mm -hmm. they're blocking, but also their, their stances are going to look the same as their run stances. So they're not going to tip their hat. And they're going to be able to fire off the ball because short passing always sets up the run and the run sets up the deep ball. Very similar to how Chow looks at, at, at concepts. This offense is really designed to do the same thing, to manufacture and create those rhythms. But if there is a, a personnel change in the likes of a Brandon Jones comes in, look for the offensive line to benefit from it. But you know what this offensive line is currently lacking, Gary? An attitude. You need an enforcer on that offensive line that's going to come in and, and, and really kind of assert themselves. Hopefully, within this recruiting class, you can pick up a couple of those attitude, DNA, um, just workmanlike blue-collar um, offensive linemen. You don't have to be a four- or five-star to bring that kind of attitude, but you need, work, you need workers on that offensive line. We will, we will definitely talk about that. I want to talk about, uh, as a defender, how does this take pressure 
off of the defense and offense mm-hmm. like this. Okay, think back three years ago when Sam Darnold took the helm. Um, in, in no slight, because I love the kid Max Brown, okay, but it, it just really his time didn't click. Mm-hmm. But the offense, I mean, the defense struggled because uh, under Clancy, when, when um, Max Brown, right before Darnold took over in those first three games, he played not to lose. In other words, he was afraid to dial up uh, blitz packages and pressures to get the to to cause the offense um, <clears throat> to become uncomfortable. He he stayed a lot in their base coverages and man coverage, and he had to play with what they had. Well, you now put an offense that you know is very capable of putting up points. Teams are now going to play from behind, and they're mm-hmm. going to declare. You're going to force them out of their game plan earlier than they want to be. And so for for an offense that finds themselves feeling like they can't settle for three, they have to now take risks and chances, they may take extra shots in the end zone or in the red zone where under normal situations they may settle for three. That's where the defense benefits. Expect the out the um the linebackers to now benefit from more pressurous situations because a quarterback may want his receivers to get a little bit further down the field to create those big chunk yardage situations. That's again um, the mindset of Clancy to be able to pressure those situations and force teams to dictate what they're going to do and get them out of a being balanced themselves, mm-hmm. you, you, would have to, um, you would have to say that they're going to become the beneficiaries of an offense that can prolifically put up you know, 14 points coming off the bus and find themselves in the first quarter challenging 21, 28 points mm-hmm. um, for, for leads. And with the likes of a JT Daniels, we're not asking him to be a game manager. We're just asking him to distribute the wealth, okay? And with the personnel coming back, I love defensively where this can go. Right. And so let's let's go to the the, the two positions that SC can get in abundance these days. Yeah. Is quarterbacks and receivers. The the seven on seven game. This is what kids are running these right. days. Right. Uh, coming up. And so it seems a natural fit for for that part of things. Right. Um, a lot of people are speculating, hey, this is the offense that JT Daniels ran in high school. Boy, it should fit him like a glove. Yep. There are some people who are saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, let's see what happens with the Jack Sears uh, when he gets in there as well. Yeah. But when you look at this receiver group, oh, my goodness. Oh, Darryl. my goodness, yep. And uh, and we are setting up to have a monster recruiting class of receivers. Right. I think we could take as many as five. That's going to be really big to add to this group. So talk specifically quarterbacks and receivers, how they're going to benefit. Receivers, uh, for, from a receiver standpoint, because of the volume, Volume set, the high tempo, how he gets it off. It's not forced or manufactured. Uh It's just the rhythm of how the ball comes out. Look for receivers at least seven deep to have a minimum of 20 to 25, 30 catches. That's not out of the realm of possibility. And the rotation. Um, What I love about this complimentary class is body types. You you know, um, when I listen sometimes to Chris Carter, on first things first early in the morning he talks about having a receiving class that looks like a basketball team from the point guard to uh-huh. a to a uh, you know a power forward you have a little bit of all of that and if you would equate a, a tight end as being a sin a center what i love about it is gary you can mix and match combinations to create the um matchups that you're looking for and so if i'm a receiver coming in and i know that this is a volume pass offense everybody's going to get their numbers so you might as well block for everybody you know, and it, it, it's something to be said in, in Mart that um, the unselfishness of guys, because they know they're going to get their number and their uh-huh, turn, uh-huh. you don't see them pressing. And this is a, a group of, of receivers 
where iron sharpens iron and the bar gets raised when the young guys come in with the same attitude as an Amon Ross St. Brown. Some dogs that just want to go out there and compete. They know nothing more than just to keep attacking, attacking, attacking. And, and you, you talked about JT benefiting from this offense. Well, because of the, the, uh, the seven-on-sevens, a lot of these receivers are looking forward to the same thing. They're looking to benefit from um, a four or five wide receiver sets that really are going to showcase the best of them. I can't say enough and or understate the value of being able to distribute the ball and allowing players to always feel like they have a chance or I'm the next man up mm -hmm. because I'm the next man in. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to be that there's a lot to be said by that versus some sets we were in 12 personnel, two receivers and you know that the ball wasn't going but to one player. I, I like where this is going. Did I see a stat that uh, the Texas Tech alumni uh, had more receivers in the NFL uh, than any college uh, under Kingsbury? Under Kingsbury. You know, and, and you think about the quarterbacks, and you talked the about. Quarterback for the resume is the, obviously the, the, yes. speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, Case McKeenum, um, you know, you, you talk about uh, the, the, the likes of. Um, Man Man Manziel, Mayfield, yeah, Man Manziel. Yeah, Mahomes. there you go. There you Davis go. Webb, well, what I think about when I think about them is how seamless they were able to plug into this offense where it was friendly with, for them. With different skill sets. Different skill sets. Yeah, and I've seen a few times where they go under center. So while some of us like to pay homage to um, the traditional pro style, this offense can be a multiplex too. But let's be clear. The pro style of old is out the door. You might find that on ESPN Classics or um, some feature on the, the NFL Network, but the NFL is adapting. If we recall back recent volumes. memories, yeah. a couple of weeks ago when the Rams played the Chiefs, spoke volumes. That by far was the most entertaining game I've seen in years past. Yeah. yeah. That's what we should expect. And if styles create matchups, and matchups, you know, um, is what entertainment value is for, this offense. Is gonna is gonna hit you in different ways because of the personnel. We talked about it. This personnel is not the same as the Texas Tech, but in some cases, in some cases, it's exceptionally positioned to benefit from the air raid attack. And, 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 and so, and let's talk specifically about Kingsbury in that regard, in terms of energy and perception of what this is going to do. Yeah. Let, how huge was it that he gets fired and Sean McVay is calling him a couple of days later? Sean McVay is the Pied Piper of the NFL right now. Right now. And he rec game recognizes game. Game recognizes game. And when, when you get a call like that and that's one of your first calls, mm -hmm. he knew that that's a gem right there. But make no mistake about it. Cliff Kingsbury walks in with his, his swag. I mean, he is the... the, the looking the, like he's looking. Looking like he's looking. He is, he is prime for Hollywood. Yeah. Okay? And if you are a recruit or if you're a receiver... Are you going to undermine with his resume? No. Undermine what is asked? No. You're going to do everything that you can to benefit from that. Yes. And so it's been a while since we've seen receivers in this offense get drafted high on a consistent basis. Expect that to pick up again. And expect, like I said, those running backs, we should always get about three to five because of that rotation. Mm. We may not see the volume that we once seen, by, but it may be by committee. But when it hits you, it's going to hit you in waves where it's going to be hard for teams to find sub packages to game plan against. And, and, and you're already starting to hear it from recruits as, as this has been leaking out in the yep. last week. Kids saying, hey, if, if Kingsbury's hired, I, you know, I, I'm there. I'm because there. think about it. A lot of kids in L.A. who might were thinking about the likes of an Ohio State, an Alabama, a Clemson going out of the state. 
man, if you got an exotic offense in state and you can play in front of your friends and fam, you know, you're going to give SC that second look. And now you talk about the dynamics of Clay's soothing, calming presence. He's like salt to the earth. But then you have the uh, the vivacious um, gravitas of, of, of a, Kling, a Cliff Kingsbury who – you go on Twitter, let's face it, this kid, this dude is abbed up. He looks like he should be in Manhattan Beach um, during the offseason. But he's a film junkie. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting somebody that's always going to come prepared, that's detailed, and that's hungry. He's, he feels like he has something to prove. And to take this program back to where many of us feel like it belongs, pre-sanctions, is going to be something to marvel at. And, and, that, and that, I think, when, when he was evaluating his options and people were speculating on what he was going to do, right. that was the thing that I always felt, Daryl, that don't sell short the opportunity for what that could do for you if, you, if you're the one perception-wise yep. who comes in and turns around the USC offense and helps get the USC a, program back to where it needs to be. That's as high profile as anything. And, and don't, under, don't undervalue this. It wasn't USC competing against other collegiate programs no. for the likes of his, his services. It was the NFL. Yeah. And if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you should have taken your time to figure out what those options are because you also need to know your worth. Okay? It, it's demoralizing sometimes in a humbling experience to be fired. Okay? But to know that you are the bachelor and, and, and that you have opportunities, mm -hmm. but you chose to take on a challenge to resurrect the program that is in disarray right now and is looking to reestablish an identity and to be welcomed okay says a lot when the head coach recognizes you as a peer as a as a partner as opposed to an understudy speaks volumes to how clay wants to manage this program not being a delegator but really i i think coaching his coaches, working with them as complementary pieces, mm -hmm. and filling in plugs and gaps, which now will free up his mind to do so. But when Cliff walks into a room, his, his, light, his light shines as bright as anybody else's. There's, there's no doubt about that. I heard a quote from Jerry Jones this morning that, boy, couldn't have been more complimentary. And he was, he was deliberately vague, saying, I'm not saying we are interested or we aren't interested. But when you look at guys who do what he does, right. you know, there, there, there just aren't many better than what he does. And there was rumors that they were one of the teams that was going but to be interested. Because when you think about it, Gary, his DNA expands into the NFL. Like you said, it, it, his system has infiltrated it. Yes. And, and he is thought of as highly as anybody in terms of people who run it. People who run it. And, and like I said, the narrative couldn't have been worse. You know, we were, we were questioning and wondering as fans, as alumni, um, if this model that, that Lynn Swan and, and Clay Helton were considering um, tearing down to the, the bare studs and then rebuilding this program up, uh -huh. when they rolled that dice, they could oh. not have predicted that a Cliff Kingsbury was going to be out there. But to be in a position and to be aggressive and assertive enough to meet with him and obviously make him an offer or, or put together an incentive package that would entice him to want to consider – LA in this opportunity to resurrect this program speaks again volumes that it feels like everybody's now the arrows are pointing in the same direction because let's face it if, if if USC had swung and missed on this one they, 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 there was no perceived plan B and at least in the minds of many fans right anybody else so, so when you talk about yeah because when you talk about Clay Helton but well I think you can if this thing goes the way that it potentially can you can erase that narrative the but 
because now you're talking about, like you said, when, when I was at USC and we moved away from Paul Hackett and Pete Carroll came in and he hired a Norm Chow, you felt like you had two head coaches, one administering the defense, the other operating the offense, and practices were intense and they were great. And it elevated the competition where it felt like when I went into game situations, Practices were more difficult in the, than the games because I enjoyed the opportunity to compete against a chess master on the other side. I knew I had to disguise my, um, my formations even in practice in order not to be exploited because they were always looking for ways to demonstrate their ability to compete at all times. And it's going to be interesting. We're not going to say this is going to solve it, all of no. USC's ills. Um, it's a big check mark. It is. Also, the, and, and, and more than anything, Daryl, to me, it, it infuses energy. It infuses energy. And this program needed some positive energy. Right, right. Because, look, um, when, when things are going bad on one side, make no mistake about it, it impacts other elements of your, of your program. When a defense feels like they cannot be aggressive and assertive and they, they, they have to nurse and protect the lead or nurse and protect giving up big points because they're not quite sure if the offense can manufacture enough sustainable drives to contend and compete. Throw that out the door. Well, I don't think our defense is going to become an up-and-down um, Big 12-like defense. I do think we can get back to some 45 to 21 games where the lead starts to just peel away and our defense is able to get some sustainable stops at key, tone, uh, key times. But it's really going to boil down to, now that we know the offensive coordinator is, Gary, uh -huh. who does Clancy surround himself with defensively and, and, to get the most out of that talent on that side? And I, and I was just going to go to that saying, does this almost put the spotlight on Clancy? And it those, does. A little bit more? But let's, let's, let's talk other assistant coaches. Um, and I, I want to go on offense first because we, we uh, recruits are being told that uh, Kerry Colbert will move from tight end coach to receiver coach. It's about time. It uh, is about time, Gary, because when, when you think about last year's personnel, the reason why some of it was in disarray was because you had coaches coaching out of position. You had the likes of a Kerry Colbert coaching tight ends, doing an, an exceptional job, but he's still coaching out of his true element. Then, you know, you have Tim Drevna, who's an O-line coach, coaching running back, so forth and so on. At least Clay has the, the foresight um, to move Kerry to his natural positions. And I promise you this, where Kerry might have bit his tongue, Kerry is an exceptional teacher. And it all started during his time at USC when I struggled. I had more deflections and interceptions. Okay, And I watched him one day as I was, I was, as I was warming up. I watched him just catching a ball, and they call it a round-the-clock drill, right. where your hands go up above your head, thumbs are down, hands below your head, where they call that 6 o'clock, thumbs up. Okay, and I watched him go around the clock looking for those weird spots where his hands twisted, where one hand was pointed up and the other hand was pointed down. And that's you usually, if you're looking at a clock, that's 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. But it was beyond just his hand placement, Gary. It was the fact that he had one eye closed. And when I asked him, why are you closing one eye, Kerry? He says, well, because think about it. If I were to lose one of my senses, such as my, my vision, and if I can catch and concentrate bringing in natural light through one eye, imagine what I can do if I can bring natural light through two eyes. 
So he eliminated his blind spots on how he catches the ball. Being that some receivers are, are dominant like a Marvin Harris, if you go back to the old New England, uh, Indianapolis days, where he lined up on one side of the field. That creates a natural blind spot for that inside eye. He trained his eyes and his pupils to dilate wide like um, Mike Singletary like wide so that when the ball came in, he can focus and concentrate on it. That's just one example of the tidbits that he can give these receivers. He's done it at such a high level at the collegiate level in Carolina. And he, and he can articulate and do it here. The one knock on our receivers is beating one-on-one. -on -one. There's a reason why a lot of high balls and jump balls were thrown. But with his ability to teach that, they can beat those one-on-one -on -one combat situations, and we may see the better, the upside potential of all of our receivers, not just a few. Let's go to your old position, and that's defensive backs. Uh, there's a very interesting name that has popped up in recent weeks. Uh, Mark Carrier, Long Beach right. Poly, USC, Thorpe Award winner. Pac-12 coach back in the day, NFL coach, three teams recently, the Bengals, radio analyst right now, wants to come back. Collegiate Hall of Famer, too, Collegiate by the way. Hall of Famer. The resume is, is yeah. speaks for itself. Um, Daryl, in my opinion, this guy would bring a substance that, that, that we don't have a lot. And we talk about the need for a disciplinarian. Yes. Mark isn't a yeller and a screamer. No. But, but the respect he commands, yes. I think he checks off so many boxes. And there's something you tweeted about today in terms of the support that he's getting for this job. Talk about that. Look, it, it, it's it's one thing. And there's been a lot of names kind of thrown into a, like like almost like a pool. But this is an outlier. He sits on an island. And the reason why is because it's one thing if I have the sentiment Okay, of him being a local homegrown kid uh, coming back home and being able to teach. But it's another thing when your peers, the likes of a, uh, of a Marcus Allen, a Willie McGinnis, um, NFL coaches texting right. Dave Mc, um, McMinnis, texting Clancy saying, hey, you may want to really consider Mark Carrier. You can fake it in a few circles, Gary, but when, when your peers in the elite of the elite, are all saying the same thing, and the um, over overwhelming response is very positive. That if you're looking for someone to develop and teach and get the most out of these players, okay, and uplift them, it's a guy like Mark Carrier. Where if you go into a game and you have fear, you turn to this man who's done it, and you shake his hand as firmly as an Adrian Peterson because he can firm you up with some of those handshakes. You go in with more confidence because you know you're prepared. And not only are you prepared, but you're not going to question, well, why are you telling me this? He's done it, and he's done it at such high levels. I think if, if Clancy and Clay were to consider bringing him in, that would, be, that would speak volumes to the direction that they really want to go. Because not only, like I said, is he a teacher, but he's also a second set of eyes that is a defensive coordinator-like caliber that can make in-game adjustments, that, that can give you some um, – as I spoke to him more recently, he said, I've been around this game a long time, and while the complexity of these offenses are changing, um, football ain't changed. You know, you still got to protect blades of grass. And as far as, I, as, far as um, unless something else changes, there ain't a coverage that's going to surprise me, and there's not a formation that we can't prepare for. Okay, okay, so he's excited and he's embracing, if the opportunity presents itself, an opportunity to come home and give back. And, and I don't think that this is, would be a stopgap. I really do think that he wants to cement his legacy by bringing closure to the program that gave him and rewarded him with so much. 
and you brought up something earlier. There, there, there are other names in the in the mix, and other yeah. good names, solid other good names. names. Yeah. Uh, but but I like what you called it. You know, in terms of being an outlier, the more you look at it and consider it, this one is different. Would love to see it. Um, let's talk about a couple of the recruits that were in here. But you know, yeah. corners. This is the position you know. Yes. Uh, Max Williams, Trey Davis were on their official visits this last week. Love we them. need them. We, we graduated them. Yes. a lot of guys. No doubt. Um, and so we need these guys. But there's another name out there in Chris Steele yeah. uh, who the departure of Ronnie Bradford helped us with Chris Steele. Make, make, make no mistake about it. Chris Steele has his eyes on the next moves of Clay Helton and Lynn Swan. What are they going to do? Okay. Um, he – Although he had originally committed, right, and then he decommitted, he's kind of took a step back. But his heart is still in L.A., and he's looking for an opportunity. The whole uh, going back to the Jerry Maguire, you had me at hello, you bring in the right hire where he feels like he's going to benefit from an enriched learning environment that's going to get the most out of his skill set, that's all he's asking you for is you can't make a mistake if you hire right. And I'm not implying that it has to be a Mark Carrier, okay? But you need to have somebody of that caliber where they're, they're not going to have to Google, Google his resume and say, dude, who are you? Where'd you play? I don't know you. Chris, I think, can be a bookmark. Uh, Chris Steele can be a bookmark in this defense, which will allow certain other corners to maybe move into that a Jane Harris slot position, like an Elijah Griffin who I think would be exceptional playing in the slot with his versatility and his length and his range um, if he chooses to compete for that position. But if you're Clancy and you're, going, you're now going away, um, you're going in a different direction from where you just were at your um, Ronnie Bradford at your, as your, your um, defensive back coach, make a decision and you will be surprised how much of an advocate Chris Steele is in getting on the phone and getting other guys to join him. Um, at St. John Bosco, he seems to have a great deal of influence, and I've had the privilege of speaking to him, Gary. I know where his heart lies. It's not my choice to say, it's not, it's not my place to say where he's going, but he's looking for an excuse to turn away from USC. He's looking for every reason to commit to USC, but he wants to know that USC is committed to de the development of that secondary because he wasn't pleased with the development of what he saw of guys that he looked up to over the past years. And watching them struggle at a position that he loves most. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's wrong. Yeah. In, in that, I think a lot of people. You, you don't. You don't have a five and seven record. Uh, yes. If that development is there. Right. So I, the, that that sentiment is not wrong. Well, it'll be very interesting to see, Daryl. Uh, we've covered a lot here. Uh, there's about two weeks. Uh, yeah. A little over more or two weeks until the signing day to see how this. The rest of the coaching staff is going to mm -hmm. shake out to see how the class is going to pan out. I really want to see along the offensive line and the defensive lines. I, I think in so. In addition to the secondary, yeah. I, I think those are the keys right now where they go. Do you see any players from Texas Tech? Uh, there was a quarterback who decommitted. Right. You know, so so what what shakes out with there? There was there was an interesting uh, offensive line commit the other day. Talini Levi, kind of an under the, record, Levi, yes. under the radar guy, but. Uh, I heard some comparisons to Fred Matua. Ooh, I love it. And the the reason for it, and you mentioned it. it, the need on the offensive line for an aggressor, I, for lack yeah. of a better word, an a-hole. Yeah, you, you need one, Gary. I'm telling you, when you have an enforcer, 
on the offensive line who feels like he plays with an edge. Because he wasn't at four and five star, every week you know when he's looking at the game plan and he's going down the roster of every defensive player that he's competing against, he's circling all the guys that were recruited ahead of him. Right. And when you got a guy like that who feels like he's an overachiever, that that worth ethic is infectious. And right now, we got a lot of yes-sirs on this team. We, we, so we just got a lot of white-collar guys, and, and you, you need some blue-collar, grab-your-lunch pal, the guys that I used to hate, but I was sure glad they were on my side of the ball. Um, I mean, you know, when we got off the bus. And I think that this, th that type of personality, you get one or two of those guys, right. it changes the culture again of what the offensive line um, has always stood for. Because make no mistake about it, while the glamour is at the skill positions, USC was always built from the inside out. Yeah. And when it's built from the inside out and you wear people down on your offensive line and defensive line, Make no mistake about it. That's the intimidation factor. And that's what we recognize the Alabamas, the, uh, the Oklahomas, and Ohio State's most about in Clemson is their defensive line and their offensive line. They all pass the test. But you notice, you don't have to have a lot of five stars on the offensive line to have a very effective offensive line. And this might be a diamond in the rough, Gary, and I like it. Okay, uh, when you think about who was recruiting him, you can't look at the, the tier of the school, but you got to look at the system that they were considering. And now that uh, Kingsbury is running this offense, how that personnel and that athleticism may benefit from this offense. The, the recruiting quarter in Narbonne said, hey, this guy can run block. He, he's a good runner. He goes, but boy, does he excel in pass blocking. You got to love that. You have got to love that because when you turn on the film and you see that one guy pancaking and, and he's finishing plays, it stands out. That's when everybody starts to joke, like, whoa, right. did you, you see that? And, and when it raises your eyebrows like that, it raises and elevates practice in the competitions, in the one-on-ones. It gives the pass rushers um, that extra edge because they know that they're going up against quality in practice, which then transitions onto the field. So expect that within this overhaul is identifying players like this, but also flip players, players that may play both sides, right? right. Because you're going to need some depth. So I would not be surprised if we get creative because the pickings might not be there this year. So you got to find those quality diamond in the roughs at that position. But when you have an air raid attack offense like this, wouldn't be surprised also if guys that weren't considering us may reconsider wanting to play in oh, this I, offense. I don't think there's any question about that. It's going to be interesting to see. Like we talked about, the, the, the one thing that this hire does, boy, just p putting the energy back. We'll see where this goes. But, uh, boy, the, you can sense it right now when you're on the We RSC board. Yep. I'm, I'm sure people are sensing it with you and I talking. A much better, a much more in optimistic attitude than right. we had nine days ago when we were talking about the statement that Lynn Swan made about bringing back Clay Helton. And, and when, we, when you talk about um, controlling the narrative of the offseason, you want to finish the offseason with positive momentum, go back into the lab, but finish this thing off strong. And that starts with the December 19th recruiting yeah. date yeah. And, and then manifesting itself thereafter. Yeah. Um, but what I can say this, Clean, uh, Kings, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is the first pillar and now watch all of a sudden how many quality coaches are attracted to USC because they know when the light shines bright in L.A., it's as bright as any NFL team could ever imagine um, uh, dominating this region. We've seen the likes of it uh, in more you recent years. <laughs> I've benefited from yeah. it. This program can get back to that level with sustainability. Um, so it's very, very exciting times. And like I said, within the next two weeks, it's going to tell us a lot about what direction this program is heading. Okay.
For Daryl Rideau, this is Gary Pasquitz. You've been listening to the We Are SE Podcast.